0: You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the Storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world. Here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Welcome back to Teller from Jerusalem as we discuss moral sensitivity. Rabbi Akiva, Rebbe Akiva, was if not the greatest, one of the greatest scholars of the Talmud, and he was martyred by the Romans. His martyrdom has inspired every subsequent Jew who had to die because of hatred of Jews and hatred of what Jews stood for. A much more contemporaneous example would be Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, known for staunch opposition and resistance to Nazi dictatorship, including his vocal opposition to the Nazi euthanasia program. If there ever was a euphemism used inappropriately, this would be it. The Nazis considered an Aryan only to be someone who was a superman. If they had a physical blemish, an emotional blemish, or a physical blemish, they were not deserving of life. They were disposed of without a protest, aside from these two well-known pastors, Pastor Niemöller and Pastor Bonhoeffer. Uh, Not only did he protest against the euthanasia program, he also protested against the persecution of Jews. But alas, in dictatorial regimes, they don't allow opposition. Bonhoeffer was arrested in April 1943 by the Gestapo. He was later transferred to the Flossenburg concentration camp, where he was hanged but just a few weeks before the end of World War II. They were going down the tubes, but they couldn't let Bonhoeffer live. Regarding the enduring influence of martyrs such as Rabbi Akiva, Pastor Bonhoeffer, the famous Danish Kier- uh, philosopher has said, Kierkegaard, he said. The tyrant dies and his rule is over. The martyr dies and his rule begins. In our quest for better character, the most important battle that we will engage in is with ourselves. Because the only person that you can actually improve is yourself. And yet we spend all our time and our energy trying to improve our spouse, our siblings, our roommates. And the one person that we can improve is the one that gets the least attention. From here, we segue naturally into the question of who is a hero. The rabbis define a hero as one who is not mighty, who can subdue other people, but one who can subdue, one who can fight his evil inclination. The mighty person is not someone who is so muscle-bound they can't flex, they can't even pick their nose, but rather one who can control himself, one who can control herself. We don't want to conjure a mighty person as one who can lead others into battle, but the rabbinic definition means one who can control themselves. That means we all have the ability to be heroic several times a day. In order to access our strengths, we have to be aware of our weaknesses, and we begin with one weakness, which made into the deadly seven sins, that of envy. As Rabbi Talushkin points out so well, that if we deal with someone who we are envious with, envious of. Invariably, that means we're not going to be fair. We'll attribute to that individual bad motives, and uh, whenever we think about them, what we think is wrong about them will be exaggerated and never accurate. This kind of perspective is a huge advantage over someone who poo-poo's envy and believes that their emotions will not cause them to demonize the object of their envy. Many, roads that, many episodes down the road will talk about envy in and of itself, but for now, let's go back to what we mentioned in our last episode the story of Tanya Harding and the whack heard around the world as she had Nancy Kerrigan whacked across the kneecap. Uh, for those who remember, if not, I'll be happy to tell you the story. Nancy Kerrigan was believed to be what would be the greatest American figure skating champion. Her competitor was Tanya Harding. Uh, Tanya did not want to have a competitor, so she schemed together with her former husband, albeit she was divorced, they remained close, Jeff Galooney, and they began to plot how to injure Kerrigan and clear the path for Harding to become the champion. Harding informed Galooney of where Nancy Kerrigan did her training. He hired two men who attacked her as she was leaving training, whacking her across her kneecap which meant she had to withdraw from the upcoming competition. And two days later, Harding was pronounced and crowned the American champion of the, of the national meet in Detroit. At that time, she complained hypocritically, quote, It won't be a complete title, but having to compete against Nancy Kerrigan. Harding's role in the attack was subsequently exposed. and In March 1994, she pleaded guilty to hindering the prosecution. She was ordered to pay a fine of $100,000, And most significantly, she was stripped of her coveted national title. She was permanently banned from U.S. figure skating. And she had to suffer, enduring not only what she caused Kerrigan to suffer, but she paid the price of, what was the price of her envy? The price was, quote, I lost my life, my career, and everything else. That's exactly the rabbinic expression that jealousy, honor, and lusts, will make you leave this world. If you get involved in them, you have no place in this world because they will totally dominate you. As I think we mentioned once before in the name of Rabbi Twersky, quoting one of the addicts that he was dealing with, that if someone really obsesses you and you can't get them out of your head, you're giving away your most important real estate, rent free to someone you despise. That's your mind. One more example. Maria Sharapova, a very famous tennis star, and I read her book, which I think is pompously titled Unstoppable. And she writes that in her career, which was really a daring career, she's kept going more and more. She came as a young child with her father from Russia to America because tennis is much more advanced in America than it is in Russia. And looming ahead of her and her advances in her career was the queen of American tennis, indeed worldwide tennis, Serena Williams. Finally, they had their battle. That occurred... In Wimbledon, I believe in 2004. So skinny little Maria Sharapova, 17-year-old girl in the first match broke, to use tennis language, broke Serena in the first set. And the second set, she came from behind to beat, defeat her in Wimbledon. It was a historic upset. And people were wondering, would there be this witnessing, this tectonic shift in women's tennis? Serena complained that at Wimbledon, that wasn't the true her. And Sharapova said, you better get used to the new reality. Then came the next, the WTA championship. And again, Sharapova defeated Serena Williams. And people were wondering, is there a new queen to tennis? The fact of the matter is, in all subsequent matches, Serena smoked Sharapova. But their envy always lingered. So what happened was, at that first defeat in Wimbledon in 2004, after the match is over, the two competitors meet at the net, they hug each other, they smile for the cameras, and Serena, who's used to being in front of the cameras, gave a nice and gracious smile. And then afterwards, Sharpova records that their changing rooms were adjacent to each other, just a wall separating, and they went to their showers. And Sharpova records in her book, and I quote, Williams was howling, guttural sobs, that sort that make you heave for air, the sort that scares you. It went on and on. I got out of there as quickly as I could, but she knew that I was there. Sharapova knew that Williams heard her bawling, and she hated her for this. She hated the skinny kid who had defeated her at Wilma She took from her, she hated her for taking what she thought she deserved. And she heard her cry and cry and cry And Williams told one of her friends, I will never lose to that little expletive deleted again. These words are extremely unflattering for anyone to say. And I think they're also unflattering for Sharapova to print in her book. But if you're thinking that envy is only the domain of sports people, then you are mistaken. But I want to share with you a news report that I heard to explain that even sports stars can learn to overcome envy. Uh, When I heard this, I remember where I was in the car I remember where I was driving and I stopped the car because I had a hard time listening to my words. I can't tell you that I'm a sportsman that I do engage in some sports and comp- there is a competitive nature, but we always want to make sure that it doesn't spiral down to being envious. We're going back to the 2000 Olympics, which took place in Sydney, Australia, and Meadow starved Israel had big hopes on ending her drought. They had several athletes competing, but they had two major stars, and they were sure that they would come back with at least, at least a civil medal. And there were some sports analysts who said that they may come back with just a bronze medal. They nearly made it out alive because the Israeli public was crazed. They were just intoxicated over, Israel finally is gonna end the drought. Now, little Israel, so accomplished in farming, water conservation, startup nation in the military, but when it comes to international athletics, not so accomplished. But this start-off nation was really going to change all that in Sydney in the year 2000. All about to change. Now those people in the media that were broadcasting sportsology around the clock, and speculation was if this swimmer, he was they had two great seated athletes, a swimmer, a backstroker, and a new immigrant to Israel from the former Soviet Union who was a wrestler. And Again, were just, Israelis were intoxicated, finally finding this one area where they couldn't make it onto the world stage to come back with two major medals. The swimming competition took place in the first week of the Olympics, and uh, albeit Sydney is nine time zones ahead of Israel, the country stayed up the entire night to hear how Israeli swimmers are going to blaze through the waters and leave the other swimmers, not a very fortunate metaphor for swimming, in the dust. But alas, that's not exactly the way things played out. After all that hype, and all the interviews, and all that chauvinistic talk, the Israeli swimmer placed eighth. Just a few seconds behind the front swimmer, but that's the way it is in the Olympics. Just a thousandth of a second can make you second place, third place, or that will determine rank. The Israeli prime minister had the best twist on it when he called up the swimmer and he said, it's good to know that the eighth fastest backstroker is in Israel. And then there was this immediate shift onto the wrestler. Of course, there were other athletes. There was a javelinist. There were others, but they, they didn't have such great chances. But everyone knew that this wrestler, he's going to wrestle the living daylights out of, his compo- out of his opponents. It could very well be that because Israel was so disappointed over the swimmers' inability to land the medal, that they had so many pins, so many, so many hopes pinned upon this this, uh, way, this uh, wrestler. There wasn't a radio announcer in the country who was anticipating anything lower than gold for this wrestler. However, this Israeli wrestler was pinned, literally, by a South American superman. So I was listening to this report on the radio, and the sportscaster was totally incredulous, slack-jawed, incredible. And he said... As he interviewed the wrestler after the match, how could it be? How could it be that you lost the match? And he said, because my competitor was better. So the sportscaster said, come on, come on, tell us the truth. Do you really think the competition was rigged against you? And he responded, no. Did you have a sense that they, everything was, the referee was trying to work in favor of your competitor? And he said, again, no. This Israeli wrestler. Was pretty muscle bound, but he was not best known for his best known for his wrestling prowess, but not for his loquacious or glib nature. So then he said, one more time, tell the audience back in Israel, why is it? Tell us the real reason why the South American won the match. And he said, because he was better. And there was this long, pregnant silence. And all of a sudden we heard over the radio waves this low whistle as the radio announcer said, Shh what a sportsman, I'm not going to forget that dialogue the rest of my life, expressed to me that even though expectations form our thinking, we can be deafened to hear what really is being said. Now, that wrestler was short on words, and he never made it to the podium, but undeniably, he was a champion. Thanks for listening to Teller From Jerusalem, where this series takes a never-fail approach how to inculcate good character. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com. You can find more details about this show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you will receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced price of all Hanukh Teller products, books, Lectures and documentaries. And remember, don't forget. You can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com. Please see our YouTube channel for a richer than just audio experience with spiffy visual components and elements, also accessible from the Teller from Jerusalem website, where the list of general and specific credits are listed.